Hey, everybody, if you have been loving the show so far, we would love your support in helping us grow. You can do that by subscribing and leaving us a review when you're finished with today's episode. Thanks. Death is part of the human experience. It's what we all will face. So realizing if I'm walking them through it for the first time, as a first timer walking them through it, like there's gotta be more that is unifying here. Like we all kind of have this unifying personal human experience and we lean on each other for it. We just kind of naturally sort of shift to need each other. Welcome back to She's Simply Amazing, a podcast all about sharing the stories of women that can inspire us to live a huge, beautiful, and amazing life. I'm your host, Carrie Brinton. Welcome, everybody. We're so excited to have you back with us. I'm really excited about our guest today. We have Sarah Bauer, and we're going to be talking about the art of play, which I think is kind of a unique topic, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the idea. (laughs) Not many people are talking about it. No, not really. And I think it's really interesting the way that it came about in your life and the way that you live it in your life. So Sarah is the mother of four. She and her husband are the founders of a charity called the Oliver Foundation, and Oliver is her second son, and the foundation is named after him. Mm -hmm. Yes. And she is also the host of a podcast called The Art of Play, where she talks about, among other things, how to incorporate a more playful, creative, fun life and the importance of incorporating that into the lives of children and adults. So I'm really excited to have Sarah here today to tell us about her journey and all of the events that have taken place in her life that kind of brought about this theme of play and in her own incorporating it into her own life and then through her charity trying to help get that into the lives of uh, other people. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been so fun. It's been a little bit long time coming. So yeah. I've been like anticipating it for a while. It's been really exciting to to think about and and just sort of go back and forth with yeah, you. We've had a really good conversation up until yes. now. Yeah, it's, it's kind been of my great. favorite part of these podcasts is you get to know the just incredible people and having conversations and learning about other lives. So, mm-hmm. okay, Sarah, start by just kind of telling us who you are, you, your family, look, get have us get to know you a little bit. Okay, great. So my name is Sarah Bauer. I did grow up in Utah. I grew up in Salt Lake City. I grew up one of eight kids. And we had the kind of family where camping was your vacation. So <laughs> live in a state with five national parks and never been to any of them before I was 30. And yeah, just, I mean, kind of. Wait, how was camping your vacations, but you never went to national parks? Right. You would, you we just, just like, to, like, went, like the local mountains. Yeah, to like the Cottonwood Canyons, okay. or we'd go to like, Eastern Utah a little bit. Actually, and I'm looking at you like that's weird, but as I think about it, that was my childhood too. I know you just kind of like, oh, yeah. we could drive for an hour and then find somewhere to camp, and that's great. That's, that's this, exactly, and what it's we a did. vacation. So, my childhood was full of imagination and sort of. I mean, I'm number six of eight, so you know, mm-hmm. hand me downs. You just imagine they're better, <laughs> and the cast off Barbies that you end up playing with that you just. Imagine, Imagine they still have their hair. And right. Get cut yeah, off right. By your brother. It's just, yeah. you just do the best you can. And I remember it be, having this magical overtone. So I don't, I didn't think anything of my childhood being any different, right? Your, your own experience is your normal. So then in getting married and I really think all of my goals sort of came from 
my imagination, right? Imagining new scenarios for myself and saying, oh, I want that or, oh, I could work for that or, oh, I wonder if that could happen. So I began making goals based around that. And so I've always been really sort of goal motivated and driven and learning how to navigate life through those sort of overtones. And so when I got married, I also married somebody who's very goal oriented and Mm -hmm. very driven. And so the two of us kind of together realized like, oh, like we make a really good match. We're really good at this. And so when we started having kids, we also kind of just parented that way. We just parented like, oh, we want you to be able to do this. So we are going to lay out the the format for you to be able to do this. So you were kind and of like, you're, are you describing you're very structured? Yes. Kind of like thing? extremely structured, okay. scheduled, yeah. planned, everything. Very focused on what needs to happen And next. everything's going to go according to plan. Like my first baby was born two years and two days after my or my second baby was born two years and two days after my first. Because that was part of because the plan. Because that was part of the plan. Okay. They were going to be two years apart. So it was like, So were you bam, guys bam. like kind of hardworking, nose yes. to the grindstone So like I graduated people. with my associate's degree six days before I gave birth to my first child. Like okay. it was like, check like, all I these boxes. These yeah. are like, you know, these are really easy. We're just going to lay this out and it's going to just flow. Probably a lot of women relate to this though, right? Yeah, like that's, that's. A- yeah. I mean, cause you imagine your life, right. And you yeah. hope for things and you, you know, life sort of alters the course, but you kind of, I mean, you're in charge. So you just kind of, you <laughs> right. just move forward, right? Yeah. You're in charge basically. And so then, as long as you have a plan, you're of in charge. Course, right. Yes. And especially if I have a plan, I feel good about it. I'm like, totally. if, I, if I have a plan, 2020 has been hard. I have to say. However, anyway, going back, so my second son was born two years and two days after my first, and he was happy, healthy, normal, all of the things until about six months. And we started realizing he's not quite where he needs to be developmentally. He wasn't doing the same things as our first sort of in the progression. And it didn't really hit home until about six months where I was saying, well, I'm, I'm a young mom. I don't. Like I've been told every kid is different. You don't yeah, really, you don't, you don't want to put expectations on them that they don't really fit into because maybe it's not for them. And about six months, I was saying, this is too far. And my husband, it's kind of picked up on it earlier. So he'd kind of, you know, inserted a few things like, hey, have him like check his ears or something like something's off. Either he can't hear well or he's deaf or he's something's just not quite right. And you can't quite put your finger on it. So six months we went in and I have a younger sister who had special needs and I have a niece who had special needs. And so with those two sort of medical record histories in mind, I kind of gathered that information, went in and talked to my pediatrician and said, hey, like this is kind of family history. And like, there's something off with this kid. Like we need to this check him Oliver, out. You're yeah, about. this is Oliver. And so- he had, you know, gone in for his regular checkups. He'd been fine. He'd, he was a little underweight at his, I think it's your three month checkup or four month. And the doctor said, okay, I see all of this information. That's great. And I see his history. That's great. And then when I'm examining him, I hear an audible six heart murmur. And I think he said it was on a scale of eight, right? So eight, you can hear with your bare ear, he was saying. And so he, he had a really loud heart murmur. And so I said, okay, like, what does that mean? And all of the 
layout of all of the medical terminology. And it came out that he had a hole in his heart. So we went and did imaging and we had him. Which is fairly common. It's fairly common common to be, it's really common to be born with holes in your heart. And then they naturally close close. up. Mm -hmm. And then there are children who they don't close and it's a really simple fix, Mm -hmm. right? It's just a simple, it's even like they put it intervene, like they send it through the vein, right? They don't even have to cut you open or any Mm -hmm. of that. So we did all the imaging and realized his hole had kind of blown a hole between all of the chambers of the heart. So the pressure on his heart had kind of split that hole open in a way that made it a really complicated hole to fix. It was like the upper two portions and the lower two portions. There was just like a big hole between all of them. So his clean blood and his dirty blood were all mixing and his or oxygenated blood, I should say, not clean and dirty. And so, you know, it was really hard for him. He was burning more calories than he needed to because he wasn't quite, yeah, it's just his body function was, was down. So um, we were slated to like go in and have a consultation with a cardiologist. And at that point, um, I actually had dropped my husband off for a business trip and I pulled into our parking garage and I turned around and got Oliver out of his car seat and he looked kind of grayish blue. Like he just didn't look super great, right? Mm -hmm. So I took him upstairs to our apartment and I was kind of, I was getting ready to feed him and I looked at him again and he just looked off. Mm -hmm. So I called my pediatrician and said, I know we just did the imaging. Like, what do you, what do you think about this? And he said, okay, don't be alarmed, but I'm going to call ahead to primaries and you're going to take him to the emergency room right now. And so luckily I dropped off my two-year-old at my mother-in-law's who lived right down the hall. And then we got back in the car and went up to the hospital. And at that point he was fully diagnosed with a hole in his heart and they did all of the imaging and cardiology took over his care and we were moving forward. And then two months later, he happened to get the flu. And when you have a heart problem, your body doesn't, um, your body uses the fuel as soon as you get it. So as soon as you eat, you burn those calories. So he couldn't put on any weight. So the first hospital visit, we went, got diagnosed. He got a feeding tube. We had sort of a protocol to fatten him up before surgery. So and that's what happened the day you took him to primaries. They put mm-hmm. him on the feeding tube and yep. started his care for the whole yep. event. Well, and they like did all the imaging and sort of got the diagnosis. So we knew what was wrong at but that point. But you had to wait to do any surgery until he was older? They were or? hoping to help because where his hole in his heart was, they needed to do open heart and send the, Mm -hmm. like a catheter to fix Mm -hmm. it from both sides. And so it was a complicated surgery. They wanted him to have more resilience in his body because he was severely underweight at that point. So at the juncture, then six weeks later, he happened to catch the flu and his body just didn't have the stamina because we were four to six months out from surgery. They wanted him to gain weight for a while, you know, we, they yeah. wanted me to up his calories significantly. And so it was every day we were adding 150 to 200 calories to yeah. just try to, try and, get him stronger. try and get his body to have a little bit more strength to it. And the flu just took him, like his body just did not have what it took to fight the flu at that point. Was he at home with you? Or so, you in the um, so when he got the flu, he had a hard time breathing. He did end up getting admitted again. And so he was at the hospital and because my husband had been away on a business trip for the first stay, he was actually the one at the hospital with him for the second stay. And so it was Valentine's Day and I was playing with my son and going to go drop him off and then switch my husband places. Yeah. And I got a call from the the staff nurse that, and there was all the alarms going off in the background and just said, 
your husband's requesting that you come right away. Like, this is not good. Like, and I said, okay, what's wrong? And she said, I can't tell you over the phone because of medical privacy, but you need to get here as soon as possible. So it was rushed to the hospital. How do you make that drive? I mean, how oh, do you was- make that drive? It's safely for one. Yeah. Well, it, luckily it was on a little bit on autopilot because like I said, my younger sister had special needs. So she was often at primary children's, not for stays, but for appointments. Yeah. And I'd go and be just emotional support or be mm-hmm. the clowny older sister or whatever I needed mm-hmm. to be. So it was a little bit on autopilot. I knew the route really well, which I don't recommend driving on autopilot just for the record. But I can say that it was like I relived that drive over and over in my brain of. And what's going through your mind at that moment? I mean, if that's not too personal. Oh, no. I mean, at that point, it was I was still thinking it was going to be okay. I was still thinking, you know, I hope that they've gotten him oxygen so that he doesn't have severe brain damage or, you, I mean, I was thinking through all the logistics mm-hmm. of what little medical knowledge I knew and just mm-hmm. kind of cycling through it. Mm-hmm. And I remember pulling up and luckily at primary children's at the, that time they had a valet. So you just mm-hmm. pull up and the, right. yeah. And the staff nurse was standing there and ready to like, just grab me. And so she was waiting at the valet. So I think I, I'm not even sure I put it in park. <laughs> like I just pulled up, jumped out and ran in. Um, well, I ran up to her and she, she just like shook her head. She was just no. like, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh. Sorry. And there were actually people that waited in the waiting room to give me a hug when we came back down because... I think everybody that walks into that hospital is hoping for the absolute best. And it's that hope that they all share. It's like this little community that you all kind of bond over. So we didn't wait for the elevator. We ran up the three floors and we went to his room and it was, it was actually really peaceful because they had unhooked him from everything and he was just there. And it was, it was, actually really sweet because they let us have our moment. Mm -hmm. Because I think in a children's hospital, there's a certain percentage of kids that don't go home with mom and dad. And that's a different, that's that's also something you never plan on, right? When you're planning Mm -hmm. out those lives and imagining what your life is going to be like, you never, ever think you're going to outlive your kids, right? That's not something, and that's not something anybody should plan on. But it has kind of come to the terms of after that happens to you, so many people come forward and say, I lost, I lost a late term baby mm-hmm. or I lost my four-year-old in a pool accident or the, the worst are the parents that come and say, I lost my son in Afghanistan or I lost an adult child to drugs. And they say, and I can't imagine losing an infant. And it, it's never an easy time to lose a child. Right. There's never that easy t- moment. And so looking at that and saying, I can't imagine raising them, letting them go, pick their own life, pick their own course, and then having that happen. There's never a good time. So There never is, but isn't it amazing, the resiliency that people have? Oh, amazing. I mean, we look at, like you were yes. just saying, you look at someone else's scenario, and I think the first thing that always comes to all of our minds is, I can't even imagine, you know, that, right. that phrase. And, and mm-hmm. what we're saying is just really like looking at that person saying, I don't know that I would have the strength to do what you're doing. Exactly. 
Yeah. But so many people are obviously saying that to you and saying, I don't know how you have the strength to do what you're doing. And right. we figured yeah. it out. That was kind of what the catalyst that started the whole, I mean, it was just kind of like a snowball effect of people coming forward saying, I don't think you know this, but at the Christmas party, you let me hold Oliver. And he had these really big, bright blue eyes and he really loved eye contact. So if you looked at him, he would like just hold your gaze, right? He was kind of an <laughs> little intense adult. little kid, you know? <laughs> and and so, so many people were like, it was like he was looking into my soul. Like oh. he, his just serious nature and his sort of, connection with people was really mm -hmm. profound. And that's what started coming out over the next few weeks. Because I was really young. So I was 22 when he was born. And so it was, it was just really, you're kind of thrown into this and no, I mean, nobody yeah, you preps don't have you a for, lot of life experience <laughs> right. to, to pull to, from it. 22. Yeah. To be the one that is the, at the forefront of a grieving process. Right. And, but what was really fascinating to me was how many people came to us for their grieving process to be resolved, right? Oh, they wanted to- To lean on you. They wanted to grieve with us, but they wanted to sort of draw from our experience. Mm -hmm. And so it was an interesting um, sort of regrouping because like my husband and I had a few nights where we were just kind of able to grieve just us. Mm -hmm. And it was, that was a really unifying thing. Helping a two and a half year old is to grieve is really kind of tricky because- they just want to know when you can go pick up their brother again yeah. or they their time frame doesn't really make sense cuz the baby just appeared one day and now and then gone. yeah and now he's gone and so it's it's kind of a tricky experience but at the same time every time you walk somebody else through you realize I'm not the first one to do this like death is part of the human experience it's what we all will face so realizing if I'm walking them through it for the first time as a first timer walking them through it, like there's gotta be more that is unifying here. Like we all kind of have this unifying personal human experience and we lean on each other for it. We just kind of naturally sort of shift to need each other mm -hmm. as humans. Like we're a social species, I get it, but, but we really do in those key moments sort of lean into each other. And so it was a really, it was beautiful. It sounds like it's a, it's a stressful experience, but in a different way when you look at it from the connective tissue sort of standpoint. And as we kind of progressed out of grieving and going back to new life, I, realizing as I structured, you've got to put together a life again. Yeah. Well, and realizing, okay, I've been a parent to two and now realizing my son, when we go to the park, he has like two changes of outfits and a lunch packed and a you know, and we're 15 minutes early for the play date and we're just like way on the ball because I'm used to getting two ready and then I just have to get one ready, was realizing, oh, I probably should scale this back just a little bit so that I don't become the neurotic mother right. that he resents me for later <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> right. And no, so that makes sense. I sort of needed to put my productivity in other areas, right. right? And so we started talking about what can we be doing? How can we use this as a fuel or use this as sort of like a... How do we help ourselves, but good. still kind of make it a productive, yeah, that sneaky word, productive, but, <laughs> um, you know, sort of mo still moving us forward. So we were rolling that over and over and we ended up kind of deciding as a family, we needed to move to Boise and we 
It was, was there a draw to Boise or just more an exodus from your current scenario that you needed to get out of? So a little bit of both. So my husband was born and raised in Twin Falls, Idaho. Mm, yeah. And so it's on the way to Boise. And we kind of compiled a list of places. Hey, we think we could have fun here or it's a close flight or there's better education opportunities or some reason to put them on the list. And Boise was at the top because it was closest, but far enough away. We knew a little bit about it. And so when we went, we didn't need to go any further on the list. It was just a perfect fit for us. And so when we moved there, we actually moved two doors down from these really great people that had a son that was two weeks older than our George, so our oldest. And they became fast friends. And so by happenstance, we happened to become friends with the parents. Mm -hmm. And they were super playful, super engaging, really highly motivated people like us, but had a way more laid back life. They weren't taking life so seriously. And they started teaching us a little bit about influencing the world through happier measures and things like that. And they introduced us to a whole group of people that all were like that. They all, I mean, in different ways, they weren't all in the same way. And they all ended up sort of influencing us to shift our lives away from maybe the little bit more hardcore take on being productive and so up till this point i mean you've got a couple different things that are going on you've moved to boise Mm -hmm. i would assume maybe a little bit to start over maybe a little bit to escape yeah i would assume in in that when you're going through something like that you just you need need a little bit of reset yeah you need to let go of some of the triggers and you need to move into something new so you move to boise you're coming from a lifestyle that is relatable to so many people where <laughs> where play, like we were talking about this earlier, where play comes at the end, where you get all of the work yes. done. You earn your play. You're right. Yes. yes. That's yeah. exactly, you earn your play, right? Like you put mm-hmm. in all the hours, you clean the house, you do the laundry, you go to work, you pay yep. the bills, you do your service. And, you then, do and then you everything. better do all of the little extra projects that you think need to get done <laughs> that don't really need to get done right. before then you get that ticket to play. To go have fun. Right. So you move to Boise and you meet a new group of friends and this begins to change your entire perspective. And this is kind of the beginning of a, a new vision on life. So so give us some specifics on what did the, what did these friends do that was so uh, revolutionary to you? Like, give me some examples of the way they lived their life that you thought before maybe wasn't acceptable for yes. you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So actually the majority of them were athletes of some sort. Mm-hmm. So to me, a lot of them had played at the collegiate level, which to me was that like I hardly knew anybody who had played at a collegiate level of athletics. Mm-hmm. And so realizing I felt like, to get a scholarship to go to college was a was hard work, right? I had to get yeah. the grades to get there. Yeah. And for them, it was I got I got to do what I loved. And then I went to college and got paid to do what I loved to go to college. So was there a moment, and I'm kind of, this is my own mind, and I'm gonna ask you if you feel the same way yeah. because I I think I can relate to you. Like I was that kid too, where it was just like you do your schoolwork, uh-huh. it's all academics. <laughs> yep. If you want to play sports, that's fine, but that's an extra. Uh-huh. Like, right. There's no way that that is an actual productive way to live your life. To just right? That's kind of how I was as a kid, too. Totally. So was there a bit of you that looked at him like, well, I can't really take you seriously. At first. You just, you just played sure. games. <laughs> at, I actually studied. For sure. At first, it was like, 
wait, what? Like, you did what? <laughs> I was, I'm sorry. That's not really how I experienced it. So you were supposed to be reading books. And but. yes, and it, but very briefly because they started saying, "Well, come with us." Like I, come I'm going to go it. play golf in the middle of the workday. Like come with me, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go, I'm going to get up and exercise at 6 a.m. Why don't you come with me? And like, and we'll just make it up. We'll just have fun. And to me, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. That's not what I do, but okay. That's not responsible parenting. <laughs> right. It's like, so, um, but we just kind of started saying, well, why not? I mean, and they, they sold it better than I am currently selling it mm-hmm. for sure. And just said like, come, just try it. You know, like try it for five days, try it for whatever, just Come with us. Do you think you would have been able to just jump in and try it if you weren't also in this grieving and needing to reset? Probably not. I would think that sort of even still, I think we needed the moving shift to actually shift us into that. Like had I had the interaction in in Salt Lake in our current circumstances, just kind of kept the status quo, Mm -hmm. had I interacted with people like that, I probably would not have engaged. Mostly because I think it's easier to stay in the habit of what's easier to just say, well, this is predictable to me. Mm -hmm. I don't need to learn something new and bend the way I think about this because I'm on autopilot. It's easier to be on autopilot. Yeah. And, but what is striking is I think it would have um, sort of degraded the quality of life over time to the point that what's salvageable. You know, I mean, like the number two causes of divorce is one, losing a child and two, building a house. And we did two in the same year. <laughs> you know, I mean, just, those two things are not equivalent. Yeah, those, the they, the, those like the two, other than like financial right. hardship, but they, it sort of like made us realize like, oh, like we are working on more than just checking boxes in this, right? We want a relationship with my husband and I want a relationship with my son that is um, like has vitality and and sort of is worth putting time into t- to get it out at the end. And yeah. that physical shift of moving to Boise, I think is what we needed to sort of turn us in that 90 degree turn of look at it differently. Just yeah. turn your head and look at it differently. Yeah. And then the engagement with new people that were showing us a way we hadn't ever thought of or been shown or modeled a way to live that was enjoyable. There's no, life's meant to be enjoyed. So why not put together the pieces and components that actually are enjoyable? And so Boise kind of got us that 90 degree turn and then the people turned us the next 90 to make that 180 of plays actually important. So what I love about this conversation is, as I'm thinking about as you're talking, it's like we all have those fun people in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And I can relate to you because I think I'm more along the lines of where you maybe were. Like I'm kind of a... Check the boxes, get the stuff done. You be responsible and then you can go play. And I have a sister-in-law who I know is going to listen to this. And (laughs) she is so all about play and fun. Mm -hmm. Melissa, you know who you are. And she will go... She'll go boating in the middle of the day. And if she's got an hour, she will pack it in with... Right. And she's an athlete too, running mm-hmm. or boating or right. biking or whatever. And they're so happy to like just pull yes. people in. They're like She'll the biggest everybody. congregators ever. And I'm, yeah. the, I'm the like lame duck that's like, well, I've actually got work. <laughs> so, so here's what I'm loving about this conversation with you is we all have those people in our lives, but I'd love that you took kind of a an everyday 
meeting. Like yes. you took whatever, all of us, I think, have this opportunity mm-hmm. and you've, and you completely let it change who you are. And, yes. and it's been a profound change for you. It's and been a profound yes, change. Yes. I'm kind of yes. learning, like, maybe I need to look at those people in my life that could bring about this change and be a little more willing to go with them and yes. to take the invite and, it, and go It's actually it. really hard to let go of some of those things because you feel like you're letting go of some sort of control that you have in the outcome, yeah. right? You feel like if you keep control of that, I can plan every second of every minute of this then I can control what happens in an hour, right? Like I can control, if I can control all the seconds that build to a minute and then all of those minutes that build to an hour, that hour is, I can control it. For That was the way it was yeah. for me. <laughs> so, like, so you're telling so, me I'm a control freak. Yes, that is true. Well, you are a successful <laughs> businesswoman. So of course. Slash control freak. But yeah. at the same time, I hesitate to use the kind of control, you know, there, there's a place for structure. And as adults, I think that, and we can talk about this in a minute too, that as we we grow into that adulthood, we think we have to leave childhood things behind. But what we don't realize is that all of those childhood things were a basis for who we are now. So you had to crawl before you walked and you didn't leave crawling behind when you learned to walk, right? You can still still get down on all fours and crawl. You know, like you can still do it. So you don't leave them behind. You just gather them up and carry them with you, mm-hmm. right? And then walking leads to running. And maybe you're a kid that really likes to run fast. And so you find enjoyment. It's a building block that got you there. And it's a basic that everybody learned. But as a non-runner, I can guarantee you are definitely born with the gene that says, I love running. Mm-hmm. I love that adrenaline high it gives me. I love the way my body feels strong. I love the way the wind feels in my hair or... I don't know if you're a friend's watcher, but like with Phoebe, when she's oh, running yeah. in Central runs Park, in park and, her arms yes, are and she's like flailing all about. And, and Rachel's she, all embarrassed. Yes. yes. And then she's like, but it's so much more fun. You don't know any of these people. It's way more fun to run like it's fun mm-hmm. than it is to just run because you have to, or because somebody told you that that was the best exercise for you, right? It's way more fun to make it fun. Mm-hmm. And that's what play I think means to most children is something that they can make fun. Mm -hmm. So something playful at school, they can make fun. But going back to the people in Boise, I think they never stopped that if I can make it fun, it's worth doing. So they were, they carried that in. I want to try all these different recipes. I'm going to, I'm going to create something new with the food that I buy. Like I buy the same things at the grocery store, but maybe there's something new and exciting to eat with those same ingredients. Or they would do it with, I feel like I want to learn how to crochet. So I will just look up a YouTube video and teach myself how to crochet. If I hate it, it was a free, it was like a $5 investment and maybe I'll love it and I'll have this lifelong hobby. Or I want to try candy making, or I want to try running over, like I want to try training for a peak to peak marathon. Or I, you know, I mean, like it was all of these different facets of like, oh, I could try that. Let's, let's try that. Where to me it was, oh no, that's not on the, that's not on the docket of what I want to do. I don't even see where that fits in. Where you're like, if I try crocheting and I don't love it, then I wasted. Then I waste, yes. Three hours, four hours, whatever. And Mm -hmm. also how is crocheting getting me to my end goal? Exactly. Right. Right? It's like, it's this, well, cut the fluff because (laughs) like, because that's unnecessary. Right. And then, but in looking back from the point that we started focusing more on 
even just, I think we just started with, let's just enjoy this experience instead of saying, how do we play? Because I think at that yeah, point, yeah. at that point, I would have been like, mm, no, 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 no. We don't play. We are not the play people. We are adults. Yeah. And exactly. It's like adults don't play. <laughs> so it's, it's learning that that is part of what sparks the creativity and the uniqueness of your thought process, right? It sort of triggers your brain. So I'm not saying that crocheting is going to save you from Alzheimer's or save you from anything in life, but it can say, okay, learning a new skill builds new brain cells. Like that's just a scientific fact. And those new brain skill or brain cells can make it so that you problem solve in a new way. You start looking at things differently. Whether or not you recognize that's happening, your brain is chemically changing and it's physically changing when you learn a new skill. And if you enjoy that new skill, you then flooded all of those new blood brain cells <laughs> with all of the good hormones, right? You just, if you enjoy it, then you flooded it with serotonin and oxytocin and that makes them grow bigger. Mm-hmm. So your brain is more likely to fire those up later. Mm-hmm. And that happens all the time. So if we introduce those little moments of something enjoyable mm-hmm. that's maybe good for us instead of like, I want a candy bar and that's going to light me up with my serotonin because it tasted good mm-hmm. instead of, or something saying that's... I checked the box instead right. of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I did something enjoyable that maybe wasn't healthy, but at the same time you can say, or I can replace it with something new and exciting that checks the box in a new way. So the podcast, I've also started saying, if you can just play for five minutes a day, mm-hmm. like do something enjoyable. And for some people, that's for some people like previous to Boise Me, mm-hmm. that would have been like, okay, I get to doodle for five minutes, right? Because art. I can, <laughs> I do, but I can do that on my to-do list. <laughs> Right? Like I'm already wasting that piece of paper because I had a to-do list, but I can doodle on that to-do list. So you are finding and a way to make play have a, a purpose. It's kind of like you're meshing it into your formal yes. self and having more purpose. Have mm-hmm. you gotten to the point that you feel like having fun and experiencing that joy mm-hmm. is has purpose in and of itself? Like, are you at that point where you can just say part of life is meant to be enjoyed yeah right like yes you know we're here to experience Mm -hmm. joy and so if i'm doing something i love whether it builds new brain cells or not which i totally agree with you it does but Mm -hmm. that there's value and purpose just intrinsically there in having fun yes so there is i've gotten to the point where if i know it's fun Mm -hmm. it's valuable to me yeah there you go um and that's, that's varying degrees because as an adult, you have to figure out, well, I do like going on seven hour hikes <laughs> with friends and chatting that whole way yes. and maybe having a picnic, right? But I don't have seven hours. Every day. I don't even have seven hours every week. So right, it's like, I don't exactly. even, that's, that has to be prioritized in a way that's not an end all be all. Yeah. And so as adults, that's, that's where we kind of, um, it's, it's a tricky balance because that's our purpose is we need to have all of those priorities straight so that we do take care of ourselves and our families and our homes at right like we have we have the responsibilities we've taken on that we've committed to that need to have priority but they also need to have priority that 
doesn't squash our will to live. Like yeah. Yeah. They, they need to sort of light us up still in a way that's productive instead of being like, well, I signed up for this hike with my girlfriends and I really should be home cleaning the bathroom. But <laughs> instead of begrudgingly, it's just, this is part of my well-being as a human living life. Uh-huh. I need to enrich this experience and this will be fun. Yeah. And that's okay. And some people that come so naturally too, and some people oh, it doesn't. For sure. Yeah. And all of you fun lovers that just came out of the womb party people, yeah. help us out here. Like help <laughs> a girl out. We need I mean keep inviting us. Yes. I mean, no. yes. Or or just keep like, you know, just keep trying with that friend who would enjoy something. Mm-hmm. Keep at it. Yeah. At least like have them try it. And Sure, maybe they won't ever come. Or sure, maybe they try it once and never come back. But But just know that's an influence for good in a way that is person to person. I totally agree with that. Know that it it is. It's very hard for certain personality types to step out of that that bubble. I very much am relating to you in your journey in life because I feel like I'm like, I'm right there with you. I was such a workaholic, like a total workaholic. totally. And you do, it's almost like you have to have an experience that, that shows you like that this isn't maybe the best way to live life, right? That you may feel like it's great because you're in control, mm-hmm. but it's really not the most enjoyable way. Right. And, well, and not yeah. sustainable either. Yeah. It's also yeah, it's not sustainable from the control standpoint. Now, I will say my goals have significantly changed for the better mm-hmm. because I do know what priorities. I value, right? So the clean bathroom is not a value if it got cleaned three days ago and it's like it's the guest bathroom and it doesn't need to be cleaned. Yeah. Right? Like it's not. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So some of those priorities start shifting themselves when you start saying, I have the value on the list and my well-being Mm. is a priority in Mm -hmm. that mix. And so some of those start just dropping off the list anyway And they start relieving that pressure that you feel of your own expectation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that's really freeing because it frees up your brain to say, okay, what's next? Like, what do I get to do next instead of what do I have to Mm -hmm. do next? And a lot of that, a lot of that footwork or that uh, foundation was built in Boise for us, for my husband and I, and subsequently our children. But I think... At that point, that foundation, then we said, okay, we've learned this. How, how did we miss the point? How, <laughs> right? Like, how did we, like, how were we so off that we somehow thought that life was to be done and not lived? Like, how did we miss it? And, and we're a religious family and that, sort of factored into it, but we also grew up in like devoutly religious families that kind of said, this is the structure you live in and that's it. Instead of saying there's this whole leeway in the middle, there's this whole range of things you can be doing. And our we sort of based our happiness on obedient, like doing the things, right? Like checking the boxes. And that's not it at all. So we started saying, how did, how did we, how are we so far off? That's a good question to ask. I love that. And so it started becoming this story of, I think it's because we stopped finding joy in the little things. 
right? We, we prided ourselves on checking the box. And instead of finding joy and like, oh, I got another thing done. It's mm-hmm. like, and that was fun. It was, uh, okay, I got this one thing, but there's still 10 things left. There's mm-hmm. still more to do. There's still places to go. And I think it became more about the goal instead of the experience. I think that's a really profound question to ask of like, how did I get here? And that idea of checking the box can apply in religion. Mm-hmm. It can apply in work. Yep. And it can apply in social expectations, yes. right? Like living up to the For keeping sure. up with the Joneses idea, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, okay, I got the car. Now I need the house. Now I need the right. pool. Now I need the mm-hmm. wh- whatever. Well, I want that. So now I need to yeah. add that to the list. Yeah. So now there's a right? whole new list of things yes. that I've got to do that are probably not that enjoyable. But I'm but if I do them, I'll get the pool. Yes. And then there will be joy. Well, and even in relationships, like if yeah. you take marriage, it's like, well, we need to date for this long. We need to plan our engagement. We need to, right? Like there's all these steps that then you like check the boxes and then you think they're done. And it's like, oh, and now we're married. Hooray. And now there's a whole And guess what? There's like, there's a whole relationship that needs to be cultivated. And hopefully you're both growing into new people consistently. Mm -hmm. So if you're growing into new people, you got to get to know that new person that you're married to all over again, all the time. So you guys asked this question of how we get here and you identified for you guys, maybe where it come, came from was the structure that you had mm-hmm. from religion, I think was your religion term? And, and to kind of, I mean, I was academically driven. Mm-hmm. So it sort of became about the school and the accomplishment right. and about building yeah. that college resume or whatever. It became more about sort of checking those boxes. So it started for both of us in childhood. I mean, My husband was involved in all different clubs that had him traveling nationwide. He was state president for a few things. And so he was, you know, sort of motivated that way in like the accomplishment arena. I was motivated in, okay, if I, you know, can do all these hard classes and I can get an Mm -hmm. A, then it shows how smart I am on this transcript. We started eating away our childhood really early saying more focus on the accomplishment, which wasn't bad because we were, I mean wasn't bad on the outside because we were goal-driven. We just let it eat more of our life than it needed to. And so when you answered that question, what did what did you do with the answer? What happened then? We started, we kind of circled back and said, okay, so Oliver was a baby. Mm-hmm. He was eight months old when he died. And we get probably 100 to 150 messages on his birthday and his death date every year mm-hmm. for the last 11 years that he's been gone. Wow. Like people have been long-term affected by somebody that took notice of them and made them feel seen. And he was a, I mean, he was an infant. Mm -hmm. He couldn't speak. He couldn't do anything like, you know, give them a hug. There wasn't any sort of reciprocal relationship that they could have gotten out of their brief interaction. Mm -hmm. And so we started saying, well, how do we have that kind of influence and transfer that kind of hope to more people? How do we propel that influence forward? And what do we want to do with that? I mean, because we could just let it be this wonderful memorial to our son, and that's just how we live our life. Mm -hmm. And that's just how we go through life, and we just let it be. But if we really want to pay tribute to the great soul that he was, what do we do with that? Mm -hmm. So we started, it took us a few years to kind of toss around ideas and decide, Do we want to do schools or do we want to do 
adult play programs or do we want to do something else entirely and and jump into homelessness or something totally unrelated Mm -hmm. but that would help and influence and even in a small way just put some more good out in the world so it took us um, a few years we lived in Boise for three years and then we moved back to Salt Lake and when we moved back to Salt Lake that's when we decided okay this has to we need to nail some things down. We need to figure this out. So we started um, brainstorming. It took us another year to kind of say, let's focus on kids. Okay. Let's make kids the focus. And so the Oliver Fund began with this focus on how do we just improve the lives of kids? Because kids are literally the future in front of us. Right. Right. They're literally the seeds that we're planting to grow into the future. Mm-hmm. And how do we actually foster that in a way that's productive and helpful and doesn't degrade or make them feel less than or worthless? So we started diving into playthings. And we actually started sending playthings before we sort of established the mission on improving the lives of children. We were just like, this is going to be really fun. We'll get you know, kids to smile and that'll mm-hmm. be great. Which is and super then, valuable in and of itself. Right. right. Cause it, I think that kids should have joy. They're so joyful anyway, that any expression of it just sort of magnifies it. So once we did that a few times, we realized, Hey, this is actually like, this is making a huge difference. This is making a, uh, a, you know, on a wide spectrum, this is actually moving the needle significantly. So we jumped into why. Why is it moving the needle so significantly? Why are people coming back with these stories of the kids that when they gave them a soccer ball, they wouldn't go. The kids were so excited that days later, they were still on that high. What, Mm -hmm. What made that difference? And so I started researching more into play, what it does for kids, what it does for our development, what how it affects us in in our circumstances, how we can use our imagination and literally change our mindset in in traumatic situations to move ourselves forward. Like you can grow your creative brain as a kid in ways that I don't think anybody really expected uh, when they just said, hey, here, play with some blocks and have mm-hmm. somebody take off and really make that their own game. Play is one of those proactive things that we literally do it seems like for no reason, it's just right. like an innate thing that we do, but it's literally building the fundamental parts of how we interact as humans. So all social interactions began with play. All physical interactions and development began with an interest in that activity, right? Mm-hmm. An interest begets the play and, or you're motivated because it looks fun or because it mm-hmm. looks like an exciting element to take. So all of that motivation in our lives began at the root of play. Mm -hmm. So I started then looking into, well, if that was our root, then we still have that. We still have that ingrained need for fun or need to be motivated for something new Mm -hmm. from our root in play. And that begat sort of how we refocus on, okay, how do we change the kids' lives to get them to refocus on having a childhood again because a lot of like the refugee camps we go to or the small schools and villages 
the kids aren't planning on being there into their teen years because by the time they're teenagers, they're adults in their brain. Well, and a lot of the refugees, and I know you do a lot of work in the Middle East and Africa. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of work in Africa specifically. And once you once you get immersed in in that those communities, you realize that play it's a very, very superficial thing. No, not superficial. It's a secondary. Maybe that's the right yeah. word, right? Meaning right? that survival, survival is, is number, number one. one. Survival is number one. And yes. so money for soccer balls or dolls or trucks, one is not exi- non-existence. Right. And the value, I mean, parents just simply don't have the luxury of allowing right. their children time to play with a soccer ball or purchasing a soccer ball for them. Yes. It's almost not even a possibility for these kids to be able to have that have even the time in the day to yeah. play but yeah you know, i'll tell you a really quick story not to take of away course, from yours no though. yeah we went last time i went to zambia this is making me think they don't have these things but the last time we went i saw the most interesting couple of things as we were walking through a couple of villages and one the kids had taken plywood and then they had found a scrap of probably carpet i think mm-hmm. and they had nailed the carpet onto this two by three stretch of plywood and then they had found rubber bands and they had taken rubber bands and stretched them from nail to nail to create kind of a border around this little stretch Ply- of plywood. Yeah. They created a pool table. And then they had marbles or rocks. No, they were rocks. They had rocks. What? And then they found sticks. And this group of boys <laughs> were playing pool on this homemade, homemade pool table with yes. rocks and sticks and rubber bands. Right. And then we walked a little further in this in this the com- compounds, a little further in this compound, and they had there was a another group of boys and they had a rock that was maybe like a foot tall and it happened to have kind of a ramp on one side. Like it was okay. shaped in kind of a ramp. Yeah. And these boys were taking turns running full speed at this rock and using it as a launching ramp. And then they would do backflips off of it or side flips yes. or crazy. And it just is making me think about what you're talking about as how these kids innately valued having fun mm-hmm. and then they innovated because they, they were innovated. having fun they had they had no resources but they right. valued it so much that they were taking rocks and rubber bands and sticks yes and creating fun i saw a kid pulling another kid with a string and a tire and it became their sled and they were pulling right. each other through the dirt yes and and they naturally do that. They yeah. naturally gravitate toward that innovative and creative and unique solution for their problem. Yeah. And you almost don't want to take that away. Yeah. 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 But you also don't want to diminish the value of that innovation in the right scenarios. If you can focus that and concentrate that in a productive way, they will become leaders in their communities because they know how to innovate and solve problems. They mm, will become yeah better parents because they experience, I'll bet there were more maybe split ears and cracked heads on that rock. I'm sure there were. Right? And and yeah. they will become the parents that say, okay, I've I know how to do backflips. Let's let's teach you how to do this safely. Yeah. <laughs> or like yeah. or like for my do experience, it because you're gonna get over the cracked yes. lip. Just go have yeah, fun. Yeah, you just go have fun. And I think there's there's value that is longer lasting than just 15 minutes of fun. Yeah, absolutely. That's not, that you can't track and you can't see and we don't really know how to quantify so we don't value it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what we're missing is that's not to be left behind because if you leave it behind, you become 
you stagnate society. All of us just sort of stagnate. We just sort of say, well, yeah. it's, it's been somebody else thought of it first. or so. Yeah, what if all of us as adults could be that innovative to make right? fun out of every moment? Out of, out of every moment or out of solutions that you're all looking for. You're all yeah. maybe looking for that game to play or that team building exercise mm-hmm. that then who knew you needed a piece of plywood, carpet, rubber bands, and nails, <laughs> right. right? I wouldn't ever, right. you know, and you, you figure some of those things out. So that's kind of evolved through the Oliver Fund into play. And that's kind of where we landed with my podcast is people need to know. People need to know it's okay to find enjoyment in stuff that maybe nobody else finds enjoyment for, mm-hmm. but you do. Mm-hmm. And there's value in what you value. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to prioritize it's, that. Right. It's probably more than okay. It's probably it's necessary. Critical. Yes. Right. Critical. Because as our lives get more stressful, mm-hmm. thank you, 2020. <laughs> as, we, <laughs> as, our, as they get more stressful, if we don't have that natural release of stress in our bodies, it makes us sick. I mean, we're literally working ourselves to death. Over what? Over over what? I mean, you're not going to be able An to pin my high goal, school yeah. transcripts to my grave, as sad <laughs> as that is. And you worked so hard right. for this, Sarah. You know? And so it's it's kind of been this progression. So after we moved back from Boise, I was in the middle of getting my bachelor's in pre-law. And at the end of my bachelor's, I was like, eh, I don't really want to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Like, that actually sounds really not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And so my husband was like, well, what sounds fun? Like, maybe you should just go with what sounds fun. Like, mm-hmm. maybe this is a good idea. So I was like, well, I've always wanted to learn about business. I don't think I want to do anything in business because <laughs> maybe that's not my cup of tea to be a leader, but I do want to learn about it. Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, go get a master's in business. It's like, okay. <laughs> So you did an MBA. So, so I did an MBA, <laughs> and For I had fun. Yeah. yeah, I had three kids at home, and yeah, that sounds I, so you know fun. so great. <laughs> Getting up at five to do like schoolwork, yes. and and actually, it was like one of those moments where was a few months in a row where I just said, "This is so hard. This is so hard to manage everything." And then I don't feel like I'm retaining my schoolwork, and I'm not doing you know mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I'm not doing what I want to do, and. Again, my husband was like, well, you thought this would be fun. Is it not fun anymore? I said, actually, it's still really fun. I'm just so sad I can't spend more time doing it. (laughs) So it took him asking for me to realize, oh, no, this is still really fun. Uh I just need to shift my perspective and say, I'll get it when I can, or I'll read that extra paper instead of going to sleep early and things like that. And realizing the fun was way more of the accomplishment than getting the degree. It was realizing I have so much fun learning. I have so much fun learning new things, finding new things to learn, reading new books, encouraging people to find their own value in mm-hmm. what they learn. And and so that's kind of, again, rolled into the podcast of, I love to learn about how people play. I love to learn about in how people learn. In all the different ways. In all the different ways. And I love that it's a perspective shift for everybody mm-hmm. because no one person has the same perspective. You can be an identical twin in the same circumstances, in the same childhood, and you grow up two completely separate people with different outlooks on the world. Yeah, There realize. are no two people that have the same structure of perspective. 
And so it's fascinating that we are all that unique and that we all sort of pigeonhole ourselves into these, I can't play, I can't enjoy that, I can't do that, I can't learn a new skill, I can't be what I want to be, or I can't look back at my childhood and say, oh, I was such a dummy for wanting to be a firewoman. (laughs) I mean, something that it's like, no, actually, now I really love hard exercise. And that probably stems from me wanting to be a big, strong firewoman. Mm. Some of that relates back to- That's what you wanted to be as a kid? (laughs) At one point. Okay. At one point, (laughs) which is just funny because I don't even think I understood what that meant. As, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah, it was it was cool. And I just saw so much value in that strength saying, I I can still find value in that strength. I can still find that strength. And there's no reason why that yeah. can't happen as an adult. Sarah, you've taught us like, I lo- you've, you've given me a lot of stuff to think about here. I love that you are looking at play in a, in a, not just in the silly, goofy way mm-hmm. that we typically think of the word play. But you're more looking at it big picture of like, find your passion, find what you love, prioritize it, whether or not it fits mm-hmm. into that checklist and that that plan that you originally had, recognize that there's value in it, that it makes a more whole life. Yes. And that whatever it is, like your NBA, right. <laughs> which is, probably doesn't sound fun to very many people, right? but whatever it is that is fun to you and brings you just that intrinsic joy, Yes. right? Is mm-hmm. critical. And I love that you've wrapped that into the Oliver Fund to honor your baby, yeah. Oliver. That's beautiful. Your story is amazing. So tell us all of the different areas that we can find you. You've podcast, your website, tell us where that Okay, is. so you can find the podcast. We actually just got added to Amazon uh, Music. So you can ask Alexa to play the Art of Play podcast. Nice. And then you can find us um, on any platform that plays podcasts uh, at the Art of Play. Okay. And then... Instagram under the same handle for the podcast. So at Art of Play podcast. And then my personal Instagram is at Sarah E. Bauer. B-A-U-E-R. Yes. Like Eddie or or Jack oh, Bauer go. from 24. Spelled okay. the same way. And then the Oliver Fund also has an Instagram and Facebook. And you're and a website, right? The Oliver and Fund. A website. Yes. It's a little We'll get it updated. I keep <laughs> it's on the list. It's being prioritized. I promise. It's just, You'll get there. Yeah. After you go have some fun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining oh, us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for another episode of She's Simply Amazing. If you are loving this podcast and getting so much out of it, please help us grow it. You can subscribe to the podcast and share each episode that you love. You can join our community on Instagram by following at Simply Amazing Podcast. And please, please, if you're loving this, go leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. Those reviews really help us grow. We'll see you next week.